Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. He's made from spit and clay, and he's two-thirds God and one-third human. We're back with part two of the Epic of Gilgamesh. In our last episode, we left off with the wild man Enkidu, about to meet a prostitute that Gilgamesh sent to domesticate him. Let's see how that worked out. Yeah, right. Like he's a, he's in the woods. He runs with the gazelles and the antelopes, and when he sees something caught in a trap, he goes and lets them go, right? So yeah, it was like the hunter's, the kid, the hunter's son, or he sees the... He sees him releasing him, and he's afraid of him, right? So then he goes to his dad, father, and his father says, Go see Gilgamesh. He'll help you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, Then what happens? So Gilgamesh the fun gets, part. Uh, like, they go to Gilgamesh, and they tell him, like, Oh, we've seen this, uh, this uh, man, and he's, like, stronger than everyone else, and blah, 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 blah. And then... Gilgamesh like orders the hunter to return to the steps, but this time he should be accompanied by a prostitute named Shamhat, and she's going to seduce Enkidu and bring him back to Uruk. Aha! Uh-huh. How'd that work out? Uh, well, it went according to the plan. Uh, Shamhat and Enkidu uh, made love for six days and seven nights, and. Uh, <laughs> When they were done, Enkidu turned back to his flock of gazelles, but they uh, they wanted nothing to do with him anymore. He had become civilized. 
I'm so I've seen. I'm just. Oh, I've read this so many times before, and it's, it's all of a sudden hitting me. It's like he was with the prostitute for six days and seven nights. All the gazelles are watching. When they were done, they're like, "Dude, you're crazy." <laughs> <laughs> They're like, bro, I am I don't know what you're into, but whoo, you know you gotta hang out with your own folk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like we gazelles are like, we don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We're like quick and it's too We're much me. Jeez. Yeah. They're like what <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that just struck me funny. Yeah. Oh, so um, like when the animals turn their backs on him. He felt uh, lonely and realized, like, uh, oh, I need a friend. And Shama turned to him and said, like, why don't you, uh, like, why do you roam around with animals? Uh, follow me to Uruk. There lives a king named Gilgamesh, and he has dreamt about you. And in the dream, the two of you are equals and become friends. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so this was uh, uh, very appealing to Enkidu when he yeah. heard about this. So, like, Enkidu hangs around a bit with the hunters, and they give him bread to eat and beer to drink, and that's, like, the... the so, like, beer and bread was, like, the... like Civilized uh, food. Yeah, exactly, civilized food, because it came from, like, uh, when people started to settle down. and They call it, like, right. the... The, the food of uh, the gods and the drink of the gods or whatever in the epic. I think I think this is an important part of the people today maybe don't realize because we don't really have, you know, in, indigenous tribes around us and, and people like that much anymore. When we do, it's such a unique thing. But imagine when this story was written, you know, 2500, eight, you know, 2000 BC, there's still tribesmen and step people and people that don't live in cities, lots of them, you know, and sometimes they come in, to tear your town apart. Yeah. So it was definitely, and I think the civilized people were always, you know, sort of thinking, how did we end up becoming civilized? It wasn't like, you know, they were, you know, it, it took a place over hundreds of years. So then eventually you look back, just like we do. We're looking back on our, you know, history. They're kind of, so anyway. Exactly. It's definitely yeah, like, a theme in ancient literature, you know, right. the difference between the city dwellers and the tribes type people. Yeah. I mean, civilization was still like, in the early dynastic period, it was like very right. a new thing. Like, I don't know how many people could have lived in the towns or cities back then. Like, a couple of thousand tops. No, they think maybe so. They think maybe twenty five thousand. You oh. know, living in Uruk around the time, yeah. so which would be make it a city. Yeah. You know, twenty five to most of the cities were like in the twenty five thousand, maybe up to fifty thousand. You know, in the forty thousand range, depending on the century and the time and how many pandemics they you know had and famines but those were the cities it's you know people work sort of living in villages i'm amazed with i'm always amazed with catahoyuk which is 7500 bc and we know like 7000 to 8000 people lived there for a long time pretty peacefully Where and is now we're fast sorry bernie catahoyuk yeah Catahoyuk is in Turkey, so uh, it's in Anatolia. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if you ever get a chance to look up the story of Catahoyuk, it's now they found Catahoyuk more re, maybe in the fifties, and so they've been dig nineteen fifties. So they've been digging Catahoyuk like modern archaeologists do, which is like slow. I mean, when they dig, they <laughs> a year of digging, they might dig a corner and they they analyze everything though. They analyze the 
the what the people ate, what the pollen is like. I mean, they're digging it perfectly, and Catahoyak's a whole other topic. But, you know, I mean, those are those are sort of the, that's the beginning of the Neolithic, really. You know, eight thousand BC start settling down with farms and that kind of thing. Ten thousand BC, that sort of time. But anyway, yeah. So through all those years, you know, you had some villages and small cities, but by now we have writing and we have cities. And here's by this point, people are sort of. You know, they. How do we become these civil? You know, we're civilized folks. So yeah, yeah. the beer and the food. That's definitely a literary theme. Maybe you know a bit more about this than I do, but like uh, during this time, like uh, let's say three thousand BC, like how many cities were there in the world? I know, like in Mesopotamia, there were a couple of cities here and there, but how about the like the rest of the world? There was some. Uh, I'd have to, you know, definitely. To give a definitive answer of the of the ones, but China would have not really bigger cities like this. Mostly it would have been Mesopotamia and Egypt, you know, that we know of. Not not counting any pseudo history of Atlanteans and you know that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, also in the Indus Valley, so they had some problems uh, yeah. throughout the time. But the Indus Valley had some cities and these cities. But you know, you're the king of a city, and the next city is you know twenty miles away, and you're there's another king. So it wasn't like being the king of Assyria at this point. A king was sort of a city ruler. Also, yeah. You know, any city was like a city-state. Yeah. How about uh, South America? I know you've talked about the Olmec culture before. When did that Yeah, appear? Dan has. I don't know if they were this far back, but they could be, They could possibly be. Oh, okay. Um, the problem with there, obviously, is the, the forests. You know, it's like Iraq and, and Iran and those southern Mesopotamia is great because desert... It's you know easier to dig into. It's not all desert, but where they you know grew over there. But we're definitely in the very beginnings of civilization here. So, you know, we're in the beginning. They didn't have writing in three thousand BC and in, in, the, in the Americas. You know, so yeah. we're way in the beginning here. Yeah. So, so where were anyway, we? we yeah, I know. Yeah. Where were we? So we bread to eat and beer to drink. Okay. Ah, correct. So, He's civilized now. That symbolizes his civilization, basically. Yeah, exactly. When he eats the bread and drink, he also, like, washes himself. And all of a sudden, he, like, forgets where he was from. And, yeah, he had become civilized. Right. And then, finally, they uh, make it back to Uruk, where a big uh, wedding is... Uh, Oh, I don't know if it was big, but a wedding was taking place. And mm-hmm. the people of Uruk uh, gathered around Enkidu when they saw him, like, ooh, who's this man? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Gilgamesh was just about to enter like the wedding uh, uh, to sleep with the bride. But then Enkidu like, stands in his way and like, wait, you're not going to go in there. Uh yeah. So I think like Enki do he had like some sort of uh, like uh, sense of right and wrong, and when he heard about mm-hmm. Gilgamesh, he was like, "Yeah, I need to stop this guy." Yeah, uh, so must be like a natural, a natural right or wrong, you know, because he's a natural person. He's not been raised civilized all these years, but he even knows that's wrong. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even children at a very early age knows what's right, right. or wrong. So. Right. I think he had some sense uh, about it, and he knew that, like, I need to stop this guy. Yeah. Um, so a big fight breaks out between them, and they fight, and like the 
it's a huge fight. But finally, like, Gilgamesh calmed down and uh, he said, like... Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, let's stop fighting and they embrace each other and become friends. Huh. So after a big old fight... Big- Knockdown, drag out fight. They realize that they're equals and sort of strength. So now they become buddies. I think like both of them were missing something in their life, and the, uh-huh. the other part like fulfilled that uh, gap. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so after living in Uruk for a while, um, Enkidu becomes uh, depressed, and because of the city life, and he's like, "Oh, I'm just like." in this city and uh yeah makes me depressed and, yeah and that's like very like interesting i think because i mean to live in a city and to be civilized this was like uh, those were like that was very much like uh the ideal way of life uh, according to mesopotamians and here you have this mm-hmm. story about the wild man who comes to live in the city and then he becomes depressed, and I think, I think that's a very like human thing because uh, many people. I mean, if you grew up in a rural area, you can sort of like relate uh, mm-hmm. when you've been around uh, when you've been around like nature your whole life, and then you go and live in a city, and then after a while you start to miss like the singing of the birds and the trees and all mm-hmm. those things. So yeah, that's a good point too. It's a very human thing. And I find yeah. that part very interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. I was kind of thinking it also in a way of like, you know, in, our, in the U.S. we have history of the American Indians. And in the late 1800s, they, by then it was sort of, you know, there was not much more time that they were going to have to live their lifestyle anymore. And they put them on reservations and things. And then they're just, you know, they just couldn't live their their life as it was. You know, he was a wild man in the woods. Yeah. And 
you know, lived a whole different lifestyle than city dwellers. Yeah. I mean, same same goes for, like, um, Aboriginals in Australia and exactly. Maori people in New Zealand. Like, it's a very new, like, way of life that gets introduced with, like, money and, uh, uh, like, all these different things that are just, like... Right, I, but I imagine it's just that there's a definitely, like, a draw to it also because, I mean, I don't... I know for... I, I don't want to go live out in the woods and pick berries and hunt <laughs> and live in the... You know what I mean? Sleep under a bush. Yeah. Like, I know that, you know, nomads had houses, but you for sure in a city it was easier living. And But then, you know, like, we have our... You know, if you're a scribe or you're a merchant, it's a different job than, you know, you think, oh, boy, back when our ancestors lived in the woods and we just had to pick our berries and eat what we needed. We didn't have as much stress. Yeah. But, I think, like, anyhow, yeah. But that is the theme, really. It's a it's a common theme of the through the book. Yeah. But I think um, it's, uh, like, pros and cons with everything, uh, of course. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, it's very interesting that they chose to write about uh, him becoming depressed uh, because of yeah. the city life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so Gilgamesh he like tries to cheer up his uh, depressed friend by saying that they should go on a big adventure to the cedar forest, and this is thought to uh, uh, to be like in western uh, Lebanon. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, and they're going to go there to fight its guardian, the monster Humbaba. And he's, okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's like a um, mythological kind of creature. I don't know. Oh, for sure. He's a monster. Wait, could I just interject? We may. Add, do you think, so we can just make sure we have it right, is it Western Lebanon or was it like Elam? I, I, like, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think it's Western Lebanon. I thought I read, just so I said, and maybe we'll just leave it out in case it's wrong and someone says it. I thought, I, like, Lebanon used to be this, was a cedar forest later, but one of the issues maybe have been that these the Sumerians and stuff might have went into e- some parts of Iran and Elam and, um, like, cleared out the cedar forests. Wait, uh, I'm reading it. Earlier Sumerian versions of the Epic of Gilgamesh say that Gilgamesh traveled east, presumably Sagros Mountain of Iran, to the cedar forest. Yet the later, more extensive Babylonian examples place the cedar forest west in Lebanon. How about that? So we're both right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're both right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just, we'll just start that part over. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. So let's see where we are. He became depressed because of the city life. And then, so we'll just, you said, so then anyway, he tried to cheer him up by saying they should go on an adventure to the cedar forest. Yeah, and they're going to fight. Baba. So, yeah, uh, here's a little side note. Like, good timber was very hard to find in, find in, find in uh, southern Mesopotamia. And cedar was uh, very sought after uh, for building, like, uh, city gates and so on. So the journey can be seen as, a, like, a timber raid. Ah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I go into that uh, a bit more later on. But uh, the oh, okay. two of them, like they, they, and this is another interesting part. Uh, they they go to like the elders of the city to tell them about their plans, as they uh, and they get they, they are advised like not to go on this adventure as uh, no man could defeat Humbaba, 
And uh, mm. further on, they tell Gilgamesh that he's young, inexperienced, and uh, he lets his emotions get in the way of his judgment. And uh, Gilgamesh laughs at them and ignores their advice and say, like, we're going to go on this adventure anyway. And All right. I think, like, because, like, I think this is, like, a super interesting part as well. Like, Gilgamesh was king, and he did whatever he wanted to do. Uh, and yet they chose to go to, like, the old uh, council mm. of the city and ask them about, for advice. And, I mean, this is a little bit, like, I'm stretching it a bit uh, far, I know, but the, this can be seen as a, like, very early version of some sort of democracy, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, like, they had a council and... The king went there to ask for their advice. And yeah. So, yeah, I think that's... Yeah, some sort of a... Yeah, right. He's not an absolute, total absolute. Yeah. I mean, he needs at least needs his city, like you said, the city elders, the managers. But, yeah, elders sounds more different than just, like, nobles. Yeah, exactly. It does sound like a little more democratic. Yeah. So... Yeah, and after this, Gilgamesh goes on to tell his mother, the goddess Ninsan, about their plans. And she gets very worried and asks the sun god Shamash to protect Gilgamesh and Enkidu. And uh, Ninsan goes to tell Enkidu that from now on she will consider him her own son. Ah, okay. Uh, And... uh, the two of them starts the long journey to the cedar forest and its guardian Humbaba, and they stop on a mountain top and build some sort of a like a, like a dream hut. I think it can, okay. it can be called a dream hut where they like perform some sort of ritual, uh, <laughs> and this consists like of uh, Gilgamesh. He sits in a like a special meditative posture huh. to receive visions and while he does that Enkidu guards its entrance and they do this ritual I think it's five times in total and every time Gilgamesh receives horrible visions about what is to come and every time he asks Enkidu like what what does this mean and Enkidu says like oh these dreams are really good and he assures Gilgamesh that it's good omens and they were to defeat Humbaba. Uh, uh, I remember. Okay. So, and of course, they were really bad omens, but... Uh, uh, well, I think... You're uh, just pumping them up. Yeah, I think... Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, um, he tells them that, yeah, they're good and they're going to defeat him. Uh, so, yeah, and Humbab is a man. Like, he could hear you for 100 miles away coming, and they say, and he's obviously a big monster and all these things. Yeah. I think, like, in other in other sources, he's described as, uh, like, a, uh, just like a guardian. He's not, like, this uh, horrible monster or whatever. Oh, right. Some say they say that he may symbolize tribes that that protected the cedar forests, and you know, like Humbaba. Humbaba kind of does sounds like a like an Elamite name in a way. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I think we had Kim. They were more like Humbaba Baba Baba. 
Uh, yeah, maybe uh, they say maybe he was a tribal leader. You know, they had to like conquer a tribe or something to be able to get out the forests. Yeah, could have been those really. You know, did you ever see like those um, with indigenous people and there's like one tribe that's like really strong and they're like the they paint their faces like skulls and they they come out of the forest like ghosts. Maybe you can think of something like that even. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I haven't thought about it in that way, but uh, yeah, probably. Um, yeah. So, like, when they get close to the cedar forest, uh, Enki do experience uh, numbness in his arms, and he feels, like, uh, terrified about what they're about to do. And uh, Gilgamesh uh, uh, instills, like, uh, courage in his friend and uh, grabs his hand, and they walk, like, hand in hand together uh, to the sacred mountain where Humbaba resides. And... Uh, uh, and then they arrive to the cedar forest and both of them are left like speechless by the amazing cedar trees. And now both of them are scared, but they continue <laughs> on their quest. And uh, all of a sudden the monstrous Humbaba appears and a big battle breaks out. And uh, during the battle, um, Humbaba tells them that he intends to eat them both uh, after he's finished them off. <laughs> uh, and now... Gilgamesh is struck with fear and Enkidu has to persuade him not to give up in this crucial moment when they're about to kill the monster. So they attack uh, Humbaba and in the middle of this, the sun god Shamash comes to their rescue with like great winds that weakens Humbaba. Okay. Uh, so they manage to capture Humbaba who is now begging for his life. And uh, Gilgamesh considers uh, to show mercy, but uh, Enkidu persuades him to kill the monster. Uh, and uh, yeah, so they go on by, uh, after they kill them, they go on by uh, building a big gate and a boat uh, to get out of uh, uh, the, or uh, to sail back to Uruk. Okay. Uh, so this is like, uh, yeah, the whole reason, pretty much, right? To get the cedar tree, and those trees are so tall. Like I know, like to build a gate and to use them in their palaces and things, you would need like a long, you know, a straight long lumber. Exactly. So they would; these were like so prized, these giant cedar trees. Yeah, and I don't think there's any tree of that kind in Mesopotamia. Not any, no, there is not. They may have, they may have been like way before writing. You know, they may have chopped them all down, or they may have, they may have changed with climate change. Yeah, but yeah, there wasn't. But, I mean, they pretty much lived in the desert, and they correct. Needed. So they either had to go like to Elam, like the Sagros Mountain, or to Lebanon to get these. Uh, uh, yeah, these big cedars, exactly. And that was a big major show of you know, wealth and power to have one. I mean, it's not like you just took a chainsaw and cut one of those babies down. Exactly. They didn't have a chainsaw, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, he builds a ship and he takes the he takes everything back and they go back to Uruk, right? Yeah. And he... Okay. Uh, Gilgamesh, like, uh, puts on his crown and nice clothes and walks around the streets of Uruk. And then he's spotted by the goddess of love and war, Ishtar. And she's called Inanna in uh, Sumeria. Okay. And, and 
So she wants to marry Gilgamesh, but uh, <laughs> she uh, he reminds her of all her numerous relationships in the past that have ended very bad for the previous uh, for her previous partners uh, when she has grown tired of them. Um, I love that part. He's really like, she's the most beautiful woman. She's literally a goddess. And she's like, I love you. And he's like, yeah, what about this guy and that guy? And you've been with all these people and you're just going to leave me anyway. So, yeah. And I think like, I love that part. The gods are so like, uh, they're so mean and uh, evil in some ways. Just, For sure. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, maybe when I'm talking to someone else, and it's, especially studying this over the last couple of years doing the podcast, I find that the ancients felt like the, the reason the gods were like that is because nature was so hard to them. Yeah. You know, they were li- literally li- fighting against nature, and the gods just seemed so random. You know, like, why isn't it raining now? Why do we have a plague? They're, just, they're probably just random, and that's yeah. just sort of how they, they looked at it. Now our our God is like our Father in heaven, and He takes better care of us. Yeah, I mean that um, later on, like in the um, in Assyrian times, uh, when when they started like seeing like Ashur as like the uh, the pretty much the only God worth right. uh, worshiping, he became like this. I don't know, father figure or whatever to call right. As the time since as civilization proceeded, the the god became more of a that yes, yeah. more of a more of a helping figure than as a you know just randomly flooding out and killing everybody. Yeah, but then like it's important also to notice that like the Assyrians had been winning wars for like thousands of years and they never <laughs> never lost. Like they just like kept on winning and killing everyone and. Yeah, so of course, like you, like this warrior god is gonna be like, right? Yeah, totally, absolutely makes sense. So where are we now? Um, we yeah. were with Ishtar when he told her, you know, no, you're not, my, you know, you're you're cute and all, but sorry, you you got a little too much baggage for me. Basically, is what he told her, and yeah. I think she got mad about that. Yeah, she she's furious, and she returns to the heavens where she asks her father, the god Anu, to give her the bull of heaven. And the bull of heaven is a mythical like beast, um, and she wants the bull of heaven to defeat Gilgamesh. Okay. And, um, Anu tells uh, Ishtar that Gilgamesh is uh, only telling the truth, so, like, her father is like, right. yeah, but this guy is actually telling the truth. <laughs> He's got your number. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he uh, nailed you, basically. Yeah. But um, she refuses to give up and threatens to open the gates of the netherworld and let the dead ascend to eat the living. Hmm. Oh, um, dear. And, like, I don't know, maybe this is the first, like... Uh, First uh, time zombies get. Uh, I know. Yeah. I thought the same thing. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So they like yeah the dead people are gonna ascend to the earth and eat all the living. Yeah. I don't know. Sounds like awesome. zombies to me. That's that's totally zombies. That's yeah. what I'll, that's a hundred percent zombies. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the definition of zombie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. 
So um, I know he thinks like, yeah, that wouldn't be very good if uh, all the living gets uh, eaten. So he agrees to give her the bowl of heaven on the condition that no humans are to be injured. All right. And that's all. That's uh, like uh, we have this God. He agrees to give her the bowl of heaven, but no humans uh, uh, will be injured. Uh, so that's uh, pretty interesting about like what we were talking about before, like the God who cares about uh, the humans. Right. Yeah. So she leads the bull of heaven to Uruk and the bull attacks the city and hundreds of people are injured as a result of the bull's attack. Of course, it was not a good idea to just like let it loose. In right. Which is a good example of just we were just saying how random it is. The gods, one god tells the other god, and don't make sure nobody gets injured. So she does whatever she wants to do anyway, and it, some people get injured. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, she you know, it's like care. there's nobody's really in charge. Yeah, <laughs> she just like she she's pissed off. She doesn't care. Yeah. Oh and yeah. Hundreds of people are injured. Okay, sorry, we're gonna have to end it there, but we will come back and find out what happens. When you piss off a goddess, it's not good to piss off a goddess in ancient days or these days. We will find out next time on Fan of History. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.